With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. Thanks to Rothy's for supporting Made for This. Rothy's are the perfect shoes for commuting and traveling. Everyone notices them. Yes, they have chic, pointed-toe flats, but they have tons of iconic, head-turning designs in bright but sophisticated colors. Discover the versatile styles you can wear absolutely anywhere and get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash made for this. Well, hello, hello. Hey guys, Chloe here. This is our summer season and this season is something that we cooked up a couple months ago because we were like, what's something we can do for all these people that have been part of this podcast journey and we were reminiscing about season one and how I think actually this month is year three. Whoa. But this season is vintage made for this. So we're going to revisit some of our very first episodes of the podcast. You'll hear Jenny and some friends that you might recognize talk about community and friendship. And we hope these episodes are a welcomed refresher for those of you who have been with us from the very beginning and offer some new insight on relationships for those of you who have joined us this last season as we went through Jenny's latest book, Find Your People. So you ready for a little summer nostalgia kick? Let's do this. So today we're in Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18 and verse 27. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Do you find yourself coming home from a girls' night out or small group feeling discouraged or encouraged? I think a lot of the answer to how we have life-giving relationships lies in what it is we talk about, what it is we circle around. So often I will be in a group and it'll be fun and I'll leave and I'll think I had a great time, but for some reason I'll go home and I'll have this kind of sick feeling and I don't even know what it's about, but I just know that I leave a little more empty than when I showed up. And a lot, if I look back, a lot of that is coming from what it is we focused on. In Philippians, Paul has some people that if they were my people would be driving me crazy. They're out in the world and they're preaching out of envy and rivalry. Likely when I looked at commentaries, it it means that these guys were glad that Paul was in prison. They're actually rejoicing at his suffering and and they're out there and they're preaching and they're causing trouble. And how Paul handles it is such a picture of a life-giving relationship 
relationship. He actually does not focus on that. He's like, yeah, here's a fact. This is happening. I know you know about it, so I'm going to address it. But then he goes and praises them. And he was like, hey, you know what? Who cares? If God is being preached, whether in pretense or truth, I don't really care because Christ is being proclaimed. And that's worth rejoicing at. He shifts and changes their view of these people. He shifts and changes I believe in doing so, his own view of these people. I think so often we can tend to fixate on the negative in our lives, in other people. And and what Paul wanted to do was he didn't want to sit here and complain about them, even though I will say that actually feels so good. If it didn't feel good, we wouldn't do it. But I think so often what happens is we end up leaving each other and we're so discouraged rather than the discipline of choosing to see the good. If you have friends that are constantly talking about other people with you, let me tell you a little secret. When you're not there, they're talking about you. (laughs) This will never be reserved only to people that you all don't like. This will creep in to the things you don't like about each other because on a given day, you won't like each other. And so you've got to build a culture with your friendship. Now you're thinking to yourself, oh gosh, how can I shift that with my friends? They are constantly gossiping. How would I shift it? I believe you've got to sit down and build ground rules. The healthiest cultures, the healthiest friendships I've been in always have ground rules. You've got to have something to work with that you know this is not going in the right direction. I think about Romans 8. One road leads to sin and death. One road leads to life and peace. How do we stay on the road to life and peace? And so how do you do this? I mean, I'm just such a believer in awkward conversations. I think you have to have them. If you want good friends, you have to sit down and have an awkward conversation. So sit your friends down and say, hey, guys, we have been gossiping. We got to stop. Like, I don't feel safe with you. I don't think you all feel safe with me. Like, let's hold each other accountable to this. Now, some of you are listening to this and you're in high school and you're thinking, if I do that, my friends are going to disown me. You know what? Better that than to feel like you don't have real friends, than to feel like you don't have a safe place. So... Sit them down, say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to assume the best about each other. And we're never, ever, ever going to speak ill of other people or of each other. And for some of you, you're going to be like, well, then what are we going to talk about? <laughs> and and I'll say this, it, it might be a little bit awkward for a little while, but it is worth it. It can be seen as naivety. It can be seen as choosing to ignore truth and choosing to ignore the difficult things in life. But I've noticed it just brings about so much joy. If I focus on the negative, if I talk about the negative, then I will end up feeling and living in the negative. And what Paul does is, you know what? He has plenty. It's not like he doesn't know about the suffering in the world. He has been put in prison for proclaiming the gospel. He understands the complexity and has a sobriety about what is going on in the church. It's not like he's in any denial about it. He's having to live it out every day. And yet still, He does not focus on these negative people doing negative things. He actually praises them for what they're doing right. And he believes what? He doesn't believe in them. He believes in God in them. He believes that God is bigger and better than the destruction they're trying to bring. And I think that's what happens is we take our eyes off of God in our relationships. We put them on people. And shocker, we're disappointed. They disappoint us in some way. Hey, it's Chloe. And this season, we are being, like I said, a little nostalgic here at Made for This because I can't even believe it, but we are 
arriving at three years of the Made For This podcast. And one of the things that has been most consistent all three years is our love for Rothy's. Like they are so comfortable, so cute. I get so many compliments when I wear my Rothy's. They're known for their chic pointed toe flats that you've probably seen, but that's just the beginning. They have tons of iconic head turning designs in bright but sophisticated colors. Plus they work great with every outfit. So you can dress them down, you can dress them up. And what I love about them personally is that they're breathable, they're comfortable, and you can wash them. Yes, cute shoes that you can wash. I love wearing my Rothy's when I travel on airplanes. They're easy to take on and off. They look cute and make even a casual outfit feel a little bit extra sassy. Even after three years, my Rothy's still feel brand new because of the way that they stretch all their products are knit with thread made from plastic water bottles. So they've repurposed around 125 million water bottles so far making shoes. How cool is that? Your new favorite shoes are waiting. Discover the versatile styles you can wear absolutely anywhere and get $20 off your first purchase at rothys.com slash made for this. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash made for this for $20 off your first order. From my perspective, one of evil's primary methodologies of accessing people's hearts and minds, and that's through this implementation of shame. And so God coming to us is the model by which we then go to others, which is why we want to be in communities where I would say communities in which we are able to be vulnerable. This is that's why we say, you know, one of the antidotes for shame necessarily is the activity of vulnerability, the activity of being fully true, telling the whole truth about what I sense and image and feel and think and the story I made up in my head, which is why when we talk about confession, confession is not just an act in which I dictate to people a list of my sins. Confession is my embodied action of revealing the whole truth of who I am in the presence of someone else who when I see them receiving the whole of me, the part about me that longs and dreams and desires, as well as the parts about me that I hate and that are dark and black and awful, when I see them receiving that, I see in their face the message, I still want to be in the room with you, Kurt. You can't make me leave. In that way, my confession is an opportunity for me to not be alone. It is the gospel coming to me. So when Paul says, do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? The word your, implying both your singular body, your body, Jenny, my body, your husband's, my wife's, but also your plural, your body of believers is the temple. It is in this space where, as the psalmist in Psalm 27 writes, I long to dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon his beauty. To gaze upon beauty is to gaze upon each other because we are the temple. And to gaze means we got to spend time looking. But if I spend enough time with you, if you spend enough time with me, there are going to be parts of me that you're going to see that I'm going to worry about you seeing. If you, are, if you gaze at me long enough, at some point, you're going to find the part about me that I'm sure that when you see it, you're going to leave. And this is what God does not do. God does not leave. In our communities of 
there's these outposts of goodness and beauty that we are trying to, that we want to create in order for us to dismantle shame in real embodied storytelling fashion. It not only, it look, it's not just a matter of like, well, when I tell my story, I feel better. It's that I also have the embodied experience of being better and take that remembered experience with me then into the other parts of my life where I am recommissioned to make things, new relationships, new software, new furniture, new missions, new ministries, new everything that is a direct continuation of the new creation that is born at the resurrection, such that the healing of shame is not just about us being relieved of the dark side of sin. It's not just about us feeling better as people. It is about us being recommissioned to make the things that God has planned for us to make from before the foundation of the world. When I post something, Kurt, on community or friendship, the the internet, I mean, it's just, it's kind of breaks your heart, but I can't tell you the number of replies I get that's just vulnerable and saying, how, like, I don't know how to find it. Yep. Right. And what do you think that barrier is? Why, why is it getting so difficult? Well, I mean, here's the thing. I believe that there is not just one single answer to that, but um, just imagine this little thought experiment, if you will, for a moment. If we were to say, okay, starting January 1, we're going to turn off all of our social media accounts and we're not going to go back to them for three years at the most. It would suddenly put us in a position in which I would have far less technological um, mechanisms at my disposal to cope with my distress that I feel internally. Mm. I'm going to be much more likely to have to turn toward a real, live, embodied person as long as I have something easily accessible to me to help me cope with and diffuse my inner distress, I will much more likely turn to that. And so, as, as we say, when the brain is left to its own devices, when I am by myself, I will do on my own whatever is most expeditious, whatever is, is the fastest to reduce any kind of emotional distress that I have. For me to reduce emotional distress by picking up the phone and calling you and saying, hey, could we have a conversation because I'm not in a very good place? That takes far more energy, far more vulnerability than it takes for me to simply distract myself by picking up my phone and looking to see who's texted me, looking to see, like, like checking my Facebook account. And so I have lots of things at my disposal that actually facilitate and encourage my not being in community. Not because I'm waking up in the morning and saying to myself, I don't want to be in community. It's just that behaviorally, that's exactly what I do. I behaviorally exit. I practice exiting community by picking up my cell phone. I want to take you back to that weekend and kind of remind you what broke me. So my arms are crossed the weekend over. I had a great time. I learned a lot, but my emotions were very guarded. Mm. And then they weren't. And it was in the last couple hours. And darn it, Kurt, it's exactly what you were saying. Mm. Which I actually even teased you about. Mm. That, <laughs> I, that I, You remember that? <laughs> that I could, um, could break something down for us. That beauty could break something down. And Micah May read a poem about her Down syndrome son. And, and it was a poem. It was yep. an allegory. And I remember. 
I mean, I lost it because of course I've got suffering in my life. I've got pain. I've got shame. All of it is sitting right there. Not even that far under the surface, but talk just about why that moment matters. Like if you were writing about the girl at the ranch retreat, like what would you say about her and why that matters for her? Why is it important? Why, why would that make you happy? Well, I would say, uh, I mean, this is, this is a partial answer, but I, I would say that, you know, we were, uh, again, back to that notion that we were made, at least it, it seems to me, that God's vision for us was that we were made to make things, to live in, in, in and as God's image includes our intended purpose to create goodness and beauty all around us. And we can't make goodness and beauty in a full-throated way. We can't make it with all of who we are. We can't love the Lord our God or the others around us or those things that we are called to make with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. If we are working so hard to contain a great deal of it behind this wall of I will not have my wall breached. And this is the beauty about beauty, right? I mean, the poem that Micah read, it wasn't just the abstract content of the subject that she was talking about, logical linear thought processes. It was that it was a poem. It was that it was read rhythmically. There was beauty in the very way in which she was writing and speaking. And when you couple all of that with the content of what the words point to, that circumvents that logical linear wall that our mind erects that says, you will not have access to me. It circumvents that and it gets to our right hemisphere, the part of us that is undefended, but so longs to not have to defend itself in the first place that so desperately wants to be seen, to be known, that so desperately wants to say like Hagar said in the desert to the angel of the Lord, behold the God who sees me. In my best worst moments, I want to be seen and know that you still want to stay in the room. I want to know that my suffering matters to you because I was made to not live with my suffering or my joy by myself. And evil will do everything it can to rob us of that experience. And so what did I want for the girl that weekend? I wanted her to be unafraid to be wanted. I wanted her to be expectant and open to what God had placed and had envisioned for her to make in a new way that she didn't know she didn't know until she allows herself to be open. Until she allows her suffering and shame and grief to be accessed by a community that wants to be in her room. That's what I got. No, what's so weird is I am vulnerable. Like I usually show up with like my whole heart. I'm a wholehearted person, but I think I just had gotten so tired of sadness. I'd gotten so tired of hard and difficult. And I just, and I think I just, I just didn't want to, I don't know. I mean, that mentally, that's what I think happened. I don't know. As I've, I've, as I've said in other places, um, 
vulnerability or to be vulnerable is not something that we choose to be or choose not to be. Mm. It is something that we are. Mm. We are vulnerable creatures, right? Nobody gets out alive. We are vulnerable creatures, and we know that because we put clothes on. No other animal does this. We build houses. Most other animals don't do that. It's not do we choose to be or not be. It is to what degree am I going to live into my vulnerability? That's the question. So all that to say, it's not, it, it, it's, it's not to say that you, before this, weren't vulnerable. It's really a question of in what ways are you choosing to live fully into what you have been created to be, including allowing for and paying attention to and accessing those parts of your heart where you carry the sadness so that you don't have to carry the sadness by yourself. To be vulnerable with someone else means you're going to allow someone else to carry your sadness with them. They're going to, they're like, they're like the two, like the two or the three, or, or in that case, like the nine of us are going to carry your sadness together. And when we have the experience of being, of, of feeling felt, when we feel felt by another, our mind knows it is not alone in the world. And that's what, it is not good for man to be alone. It's not just like those words are not just like, ah, I notice he's kind of by himself. I'm just, not, that's not good. Let's just do, no. It is a statement that speaks to the very essence of the molecular makeup of the universe. And on that weekend, you made a choice to allow yourself to be less alone. And it was like it was an it's it 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 was an amazing thing. And and and, and, and I want to emphasize. I I, I want to say like it's not easy to do. I want to say to you. That like I like I mean look I that weekend at the end of the weekend like I'd known you for two two and a half days right but I could have said to you and I can say to you now like oh my gosh like I'm so stinking proud of you mm-hmm. like it's imp- it's impressive because it's not easy to do well, let me just say this in, in 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 as a backdrop right in Romans eight Paul writes about how the mind that is on the spirit is life but the mind that is on the flesh is death. And uh, of course, he's, he's not talking about spirit and flesh, meaning non-material, material worlds, right? He's talking about the spirit represents the, the material and non-material world that is the, of the kingdom of God. And the flesh represents the material and non-material world that is the kingdom of darkness. The mind that is on the spirit is life. And I would say uh, the one thing I want to do is as I am able be attentive in each moment to the delight and presence of God where I am in that moment, to choose to pay attention to that and allow that to inform whatever is happening in this moment and choose not to pay attention to whatever message of shame that will necessarily always be in competition with my desire to pay attention to God's delight. I think everything else becomes a byproduct of my choice to pay attention to one or the other of those two things. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review so that other people can find the show too. 
We're so glad you're here. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Made for This podcast.